9, verse 6. We've been hearing this passage for the past three weeks. We're on the last name of Jesus that Isaiah prophesied, the Prince of Peace. In our world today, we find peace through strength, right? That's how governments work. You want to invade us? Are you sure this is our military right here? We'd like you to get to know them. They are big. Are you sure you want to invade us? Peace through strength. Civic peace works, works the exact same way. Are you sure you want to rob that store? Because we have a nice cell for you right over here. Very uncomfortable. The food is bad. Are you sure you want to do that? Peace through strength. Dads with their daughter's dates. Peace through strength. So I was reminded of that again because... Uh, my cousin, my cousin's daughter, Abby, she's 16 years old, and she went on her first date. And my cousin, Steve, her dad, is notorious, notorious for being horrible to people's dates. So my niece one time brought a date for a New Year's Eve party, and my cousin, Steve, refused to call this guy by his proper name the entire night. He kept joking that. Trav, Trevor, Tra- everything, right? And then he'd say to him, okay, why don't you go get me a cookie? Go to the kitchen and get me a cookie. And the kid would come and get a cookie, right? He goes, no, that cookie's too big. I want a smaller cookie. So he'd go back and get a smaller cookie. That cookie's too small. I want a medium-sized cookie. The kid would come back. The same cookie you brought me last time. Just bring the whole tray here, right? You bring the tray of cookies. It's just horrible, horrible. So his daughter gets, goes on her first date. It's a Halloween party. And he's like, I'm going to get this kid. And my cousin, he's a former Marine. He's six feet tall, uh, well north of 200 pounds, well north than he wants to be of 200 pounds. Not a small guy. He's like, I'm just going to get this kid. So he shows up and meets his daughter's date. Daughter's date is six foot four. His hobby is weightlifting, built like a brick house. So he texts his brother. He's like, what do I do? His brother texts back one word, gun. He's like, all right. So he walks back in. His daughter's date's dad is a police officer. Date is dressed up. His Halloween costume is a SWAT here. He has a real life bulletproof vest on. Gun won't work. So my cousin says, Well, you could have her home by midnight. That'd be or whatever you want. Great. Kids like, yes, sir. Peace through strength. That's how we handle things in life. When life gets hard, you muscle your way through it. And I find it odd and fascinating and slightly ironic that in this season of peace is the most stressful time of the year and it's not even close. There's nothing resembling peace this time of year. The students, they've got finals. The resorts are packed. Your homes are full. We lived in St. Louis. Nobody came to visit us. Even my family's like, no, we're not going to St. Louis. We move here. We're popular. People love us. They're like, can we come to your house for Christmas? Well, yes. We'd love you to come over. You've got to go buy the presents. And the presents leads to present stress because I don't know what to buy for this person. Yes. 
And then you, that leads to financial stress, which leads to relationship stress. It's a mess. I even heard two weeks ago, someone said to me, I have to go home and make cookies. <laughs> even the cookies are stressed. I mean, making cookies should be the most chill activity of all time. And 11 months of the year, it is. This month, I have to go home and make the cookies. And how do you make it through the season of peace? This is how you do it. This is how you guys do it. You work harder. You stress more. Thankfully, it's not Jesus' answer. It's not Isaiah's answer either. He wrote about it this way. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee and the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Why? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah's answer for crazy times, look to Jesus. Look to the Prince of Peace. Or in Hebrew, the Sar Shalom. Isn't that awesome? It's a good way to say it. Sar Shalom. Prince of Peace. Pray to Jesus. That's what Mary did. Mary is going through the crazy Christmas. And I promise you, crazier than your Christmas was the first Christmas. Mary, she's an unwed mom. She's engaged, but she's not married. She gives birth. It's crazy times. It says this in Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary 
treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the craziest Christmas of all, Mary, she's unwed mom, she's giving birth in a barn. There's these smelly dudes running in, shouting and praising God. And when you're a mom who's just given birth, the first thing you want to see are complete strangers. <laughs> they finally leave. And we expect the text to end something like, and Mary had a nervous breakdown, and Joseph went out looking for a stiff drink. <laughs> That's what we expect. And instead it says this, and Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It's another way of saying that Mary meditated and she prayed. That's what she does. This prayer is, is the language of faith. And the only problem with bearing this easy yoke of asking God in faith is that we find it hard to believe. And for most of you here, it's not hard to believe in God. You're, you're good there, right? And for most of you here, it's not hard to believe that God listens and answers a prayer. You're, you're okay there. What it's hard to believe is that it makes a difference. That's the hard part. I know God listens. I know God cares. But does it make a difference? Because when you pray, two things will happen. Either one, God will change your circumstances. Or two, God will change you. And change and growth is hard. And so when you pray, you're like, does it matter? Does it make a difference? And if you feel that way, you're in good company. I would say my default mode is control. That's my default mode. So when things get crazy, I work harder, and I spin my wheels more, and I get more stressed, but the stress is, is, is good because it makes me feel like I'm doing something, which reinforces my need for control and reinforces my idolatry that I am God. That's my problem. I could give this to God, but he wouldn't do as good a job as I would do, so I'm going to stress some more about this and spin my wheels some more. That's, that's my default sin. That's where I go. And maybe some of you are like that same way too. So you'll be pleased to know that some heroes of the faith struggle the exact same way. How many of you have ever heard a guy named Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor. I know, Mie, you have, right? Hudson Taylor uh, was a missionary to China in the late 1800s. Did some incredible things over there. But one of the things he struggled with was faith and prayer. And so I want to read something to, that Hudson Taylor wrote. It's a little long, but it's super good, so I want to share it with you. He wrote this. I strove for faith, but it would not come. This guy who's a missionary in China gives up everything, sells everything, goes to China, which wasn't easy, nor comfortable, nor safe back then. He says, I strove for faith, but it would not come. I tried to exercise it, but in vain. Seeing more and more the wondrous supply of grace laid up in Jesus, the fullness of our precious Savior, 
my guilt and helplessness seem to increase. So the more he looks at Jesus, the more he says, I should not be feeling this way. And the more I try not to feel this way, the more I feel this way. And the more I pray, the worse it gets. Have you been there? He continues. Sins committed appeared but as trifles compared with the sin of unbelief, which was their cause, which could not or would not take God at his word, but rather made him a liar. Unbelief was, I felt, the damning sin of the world, yet I indulged in it. I prayed for faith, but it came not. What was I to do? Have you been there? And then he has a breakthrough. When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from my friend John McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes, and the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. McCarthy, who had been exercised by the same sense of failure but saw the light before I did, he wrote me, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. As I read, I saw it all. If we believe not, he remains faithful. I looked to Jesus and saw, and when I saw, the joy flowed, that Jesus had said, I will never leave you. There is rest, I thought. I have striven in vain to rest in him. I will strive no more. Faith is, is not a muscle we need to pump up or work through in order to get strong enough to, to trust Jesus, but rather it's a response to the one who we know is trustworthy. And Hudson Taylor was transformed for the rest of his life, and he went through some horrible, horrible stuff. And through it all, God's peace rested on him. It's a peace from knowing that God's in charge. It's a peace from knowing what we can control and what we need to God. It's embodied in a prayer written by a man named Reinhold Niebuhr. Reinhold Niebuhr was a theologian in the 1900s, and he wrote a prayer. Uh, it's most commonly used in AA meetings. And this prayer became famous. He wrote it in the 1930s, but it became famous during World War II, when people really need good prayers. I have it on the screen here. It's it's not as, as easy to see as it should be, so I'm going to read it to you, and you can Google it later. It says this. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the AA version. A lot of the groups have that prayer. But that's the first part of the prayer. The prayer continues. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. It's a great prayer. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's the key. Because I'm willing to bet 
Most of the things that you're stressed out about in your life are the things that you can't change. Right? You want the perfect Christmas. And will you have the perfect Christmas? No, you will not have the perfect Christmas. I will tell you that right. It will not be perfect. As a staff here, we work hard so that every Christmas Eve is absolutely perfect. And we've never had a perfect Christmas Eve here. Did you know the past four Christmas Eves, someone has thrown up at this church? Four years straight. That's a true story. Three of those years, it was my son. Thanks, Tim. In his defense, he made it to the toilet every time. Even when he was nine. That was four years ago. Last year was not my son who threw up. That guy did not make it to the toilet. So here we are, working our tails off for the perfect Christmas Eve. And if you came here at the 5 o'clock service and you walked in the front door, the lovely smell of vomit greeted you at the door. And some of you are going, let's go somewhere else for Christmas Eve this year. It's not going to happen this year. Because there's no way it can happen five years in a row, right? There's no way. It can't. It's not possible. We stress over the things we can't change. And the real sad part is we don't worry about the things we can't. We don't. So if we're going to pray this prayer, I think we should pray this other prayer as well. It's from St. Francis of Assisi. Again, it's kind of small, but I'm going to read it for you. It's, It's awesome. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine Master, grant that I may, I may not grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. St. Francis of Assisi. We don't pray like this anymore, do we? Lord Jesus, may you give us peace. May you give us peace for all those things we're stressing about in our lives that we can't control, and that we're spinning our wheels trying to control because we want to be God and put ourselves in your place. And Lord God, may our hearts break for that which we can't change. It's not peace through strength. It's not Jesus' way. But rather, it's a peace through service. As you leave today, uh, you're going to be given a small gift. It's just a cup. It's got some biscotti in it. It's got some hot chocolate in it. It's got an invitation to Christmas Eve service in it, right there. Very cool. And what we'd like you to do is we're going to give it to you so you can give it away. We'd like you to give it away to someone who's not experiencing a lot of peace right now. And thankfully, in our valley, that's practically everybody. 
So you have lots of options. All right? So if you're skiing today, take one of these with you, hand it to the lifty. The first lifty you see, you're like, buddy, you need this. Because the New Yorkers are in town. Here you go, you need this. I don't know, she's Jason. Stop that. Go to Walmart. People at Walmart are not experiencing peace right now. They need this. All right? Any retail store you walk into, they're scrambling. They need this. A next door neighbor, friend, coworker, whoever. And even if, like, you don't get around to it like Christmas Eve, that's all right. They're still going to need this after Christmas Eve, too, okay? Hand it out. Because Jesus invites you on his mission of peace to his world. It's a mission that he's called you into. Not because you can't attain it, but because he already has. And invites you to make it known. It's not dependent on you. My friends, it never was. It's dependent on Jesus and what he's already done for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask for peace. Lord, uh, lives are busy, they're crazy, they're stress-filled. We ask for peace. And so, Lord, we pray. Oh my goodness, we pray to let go the things we cannot control courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. And Lord God, um, we ask that we might finally know your peace that does pass on our understanding, that it might guard our hearts, that it might guard our minds, that our hearts might stop being afraid, that our minds might stop being stressed and fearful. And that we would know you. And then from that core of peace, Lord God, we might reach out to those around us who do not know peace. And sharing you, the lover of our souls, the giver of all good things. We ask this bold prayer, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory and for our joy.